We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Hey there folks, you're listening to the Atlanta Falcons episode of the 2018 Team Preview Series, a special edition of Rotoviz Radio. My name is Neil Dutton, you can follow me on Twitter, at ndutton13. Our guest today is Jenna Thomas from The Falcoholic. You can follow her on Twitter, at Jenna Thomas, or The Falcoholic, at The Falcoholic. We talk about the expectations for the Falcons' offence in year two under Steve Sarkeesian, what can be expected from Matt Ryan and his pass catchers, as well as talking about how the running back picture should shake out. We also talk about the Falcons' defence and what changes have been made over the off-season. After the interview, we'll take a few minutes to think about some of the things Jenna and I talked about and we'll take a close look at some of the key Falcons fantasy players using some of the Rotoviz apps. For those of you who don't know, Rotoviz is a sports data and analytics site that publishes over 1,000 articles per year and has a suite of more than 20 proprietary apps. Go to rotoviz.com to check out the site. And now, let's bring on our guest. I'd like to be joined by Gina Thomas from the the Falcoholic. You can follow her on Twitter at Gina Thomas or at the Falcoholic. Gina, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. We'll get straight into it. Um, obviously, a year removed from reaching the Super Bowl, the Atlanta Falcons had slight regression last year. They were second in offensive yards and first in points in 2016. That dropped to eighth and fifteenth in 2017. Do you think the Falcons can bounce back on offense this season? 
You know, I do. And um, I would point as evidence to the difference between the Falcons in 2015, which was Kyle Shanahan's first year as offensive coordinator. Falcons fans were calling for his head. They wanted him fired. You know, we're just a few weeks into the season and, you know, they were ready to run him out of town. And so then in his second season, Shanahan was the best offensive coordinator in the league in 2016, certainly had the most success on the field. And so last year, he took the head coaching role in San Francisco, and Steve Sarkeesian came in, and there was a big learning curve there coming in from the college level where he really didn't do much to Alabama. He spent one game as the team's offensive coordinator after Lane Kiffin left. Otherwise, he was in more of an advisory role. And so it was a big adjustment for him, I think, and I think that with one more full offseason to work with these players to understand their strengths and how he can use them to create mismatches against defenses. I think that we will see an improvement this year. I have seen that some people have criticised um, Sarkeesian from his time at USC, that occasionally he tries to outthink the entire room. Do you think that was a case um, last season that he just needed to realise, no, no, just go out and, and call the plays, you don't have to be that smart? Yeah, I do think so. And I think that, you know, I think that probably um, compounds Falcon fans' frustration with him because that was also a flaw with Kyle Shanahan. And we saw it at its worst in the Super Bowl. Because when you have a an eight-point lead in the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl against the Patriots, you don't just abandon situational football. And that's what he did, calling passing plays when it should have been a run situation to stay within field goal range, goal range and take a an 11-point lead. Um, and so I think that we saw that, you know, the, the play that Falcons fans go back to with Sark is the jet sweep that he called in the red zone against the Eagles in the postseason that effectively lost them the game. And so, yeah, I think that he got too cute. I think that he was, you know, very confident that trickery would work. And sometimes you just got to rely on situational football and the skill and talent of the guys that you have on the field. And so I'm hoping that we see a trend toward that this season. Obviously, Matt Ryan signed a mega deal during the off-season. So, obviously, he's the, the Falcons obviously fairly committed to him. Obviously, he's been very successful. He, he was it was a down year for him. It was his fewest passing yards since 2010. Is, it, is this the way the offense is going to go? It's going to ask him to do less? Or, again, if we think um, Steve Sarkeesian is going to learn his lessons, do you see Ryan getting back closer to his MVP-style numbers from a year earlier? You know, I think that you have to take Matt Ryan's career as a whole. And he is somebody who's been very consistent throughout his career. He's consistently had top 10 numbers. Um, you know, he's consistently, I think, been in the top five in terms of, you know, win percentage and things like that, which is a sort of a different thing for quarterbacks anyway. I don't think that it's fair to credit the quarterback with all of the, you know, credit for a win, but um, people tend to do that. So he's been very consistent throughout his career. And I think you can look at, you know, say the 2015 season, which was a weak season for him as an outlier. And then you can look at 2016 as an outlier. And I think that what we will see is a step forward from 2017 with more consistent offensive play across the board. But will he be at those 2016 levels? I don't know. I mean, that was a very different situation. Kyle Shanahan is a very gifted coordinator. He has the ability to anticipate what defenses are going to give him. And, you know, really, he's usually about two to three steps ahead of whoever he's playing. I don't know that Sark is at that level or if that's, if he's ever going to be at that level. That's not really a learned skill. That's something that you either have or you don't. So will he get back to those 2016 numbers? I don't think he'll 
reach those heights. But will he be better this year? I do think so. Obviously, his main weapon in the passing game is Julio Jones. Uh, four consecutive seasons with at least 1,400 receiving yards. Uh, but last season, his touchdowns, his receptions per game, his yards per game, and his catch rate were as lowest since 2012. Obviously, he had the, um, I'll try and be polite, the most insignificant holdout I think I've ever seen in uh, football history <laughs> earlier this season um, before his, you know, he got some, you know, some, um, some more money up front, we say. Is it still going to pretty much all fall on him in the receiving, or do you think that the secondary players can step up this year and take a bit of the burden off him? You know, I think that um, everything that you've just described is exactly why the team went ahead and selected Calvin Ridley out of Alabama in the first round this offseason. Um, I think that Ridley is, he's, he runs some of the prettiest routes that I've ever seen, especially coming in as a rookie. There's a significant learning curve there, and he has looked really sharp in terms of his route running. He's got good hands, and he's got incredible speed. And so when you're putting a guy with Julio Jones, just raw talent out there, with Calvin Ridley, also on the field, and then a guy, a, a solid possession receiver like Mohamed Sanu, um, who stepped up for the Falcons in a big way last season. Yeah, I think that we're going to see that responsibility for reception spread around between those guys and the backs. Um, you know, they've got two really good receivers in the backfield, Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman. And so I think that you will see less of the burden on Julio, and what you'll see is more targets for Ridley, for Sanu, running, you know, quick passes out of the backfield, and then also incorporating guys like um, Eric Saubert and Austin Hooper, the tight ends, and trying to really spread it around. Because the issue is teams have to dedicate enough resources to containing Julio Jones. And it's not an easy thing to do. I mean, the guy is just a, very nearly a supernatural athlete. It's ridiculous. But when they have to dedicate, you know, at least a cornerback, their top cornerback typically, and a safety to try to slow down Julio Jones, sometimes they're cheating a linebacker over there too because he's just so hard to control. Then you're creating opportunities for guys like Ridley, for guys like Sanu, for the tight ends, and for the receivers. And so I think that you will see them, and I hope that you will see them spreading the ball around more this year because I feel like that was really um, to the team's detriment last year, that that wasn't something that they were able to do very effectively. When the Falcons drafted Ridley, it just reminded me of a line from, and this is a bit scatological, but uh, go with me, it reminded me of a line from Men in Black, where Tommy Lee Jones says, I wasn't training a partner, I was training a replacement. Do you get the okay. impression that, that Ridley is basically going to be groomed initially to team up with Julio, but then a few years down the line, take over the mantle? You know, it's kind of funny because what this situation reminded me of was the team drafting Julio Jones back in 2011. Um, because at the time, they had Roddy White on the roster. Roddy was, you know, getting toward the end of his prime, but he was still definitely in his prime. And I remember loving the way that Roddy handled it because he saw Julio as a teammate and somebody that he could help mentor to make him the best pro that he could be. And that was the approach that he took. And so what I love is that Julio was taking a similar approach with Ridley. And I think... For the foreseeable future, because I cannot imagine the Falcons ever letting Julio Jones walk. Um, I think that as long as Julio Jones is playing, I expect him to finish his career in Atlanta, barring anything crazy happening. And so I think that for now, they expect them to be teammates. And I think that that's what both of these players expect. And I think that they could be a really formidable duo. On the ground, uh, for the last three years, Devonta Freeman has handled the, me the majority of the carries. Obviously, there's been mixing with uh, the likes of Tevin Coleman. But 
Freeman's overall market share has actually dropped in each of the last three years. Obviously, he's had a few problems with uh, concussions and other injuries. Do you think that he could return to a position of overall dominance, or are we going to see more Tevin Coleman or maybe even Ito Smith carrying the ball? You know, I do think that they'll continue to platoon their running backs, primarily because it keeps them fresh, it lets them be more effective, and it does keep them healthier. And so I think that we'll still see somewhat of a platoon, and I think we'll probably see all three of those guys. Um, I do think that this is Kevin Coleman's last year in Atlanta. He, he is in a contract year. And so um, I think that his role may be diminished while they give more work to Ido Smith, who I think is going to be the number two back moving forward, barring you know any kind of performance issues from him this year. Uh, you mentioned um, him earlier. Um, Austin Hooper is going into his third year. Um, he's been steady, if not spectacular. Do you think um, a, his third year, do you think he could break out, as it were, and become a much larger contributor than he has been in his first two seasons? Yeah, I think that that's what everybody is really hoping for. That was, you know, a decent amount of draft capital to invest into a tight end. Uh, he's a third rounder. And so he's never really lived up to, I mean, he was, that year that he came out, he was the third best tight end in the draft. And so I think he's never really lived up to the expectations that went along with that. And um, so I know people are really hoping to see that from him. We saw some spectacular plays from him last season. We also saw some really boneheaded drops and things like that. So I'm hoping that he's more consistent this season. I will say Eric Saubert, who I think was a sixth rounder last year, um, out of Drake, so small school in Iowa. I think that, you know, Saubert has looked really good in camp, and you always have to take that with a grain of salt. You know, a lot of times these guys are not in pads. They're in shorts and helmets. You know, pretty much anybody can look like a star if there's no contact. But he has looked really good in camp. So I think that people are hoping that, based on that, that we might have a much stronger presence on the field at tight end this year. Because obviously, if when, back when um, Kyle Shanahan was the offensive coordinator, he did have something of a history with tight ends, you know, going back to his days at Washington and Houston. We don't really know from, uh, from Sarkeesian in the pros what he's going to do because I don't think he's ever really had a stud, shall we say, tight end from his days uh, in college. Yeah, it is really hard to hard to know what to expect there. And, you know, I think that his past with tight ends, his history with tight ends and how he's used them and his schemes, um, I think that that may have impacted what we saw last year from the tight end. So it will be interesting to see how that shifts this year. Uh, the other side of the ball, obviously that's where Dan Quinn made his bones, as it were. The Falcons were around middle of the table in terms of points allowed last year, but they did allow the most defensive plays per drive and they were very, very low in terms of takeaway rate. Um, do you think this is the way they want to be? They don't want to be a shutdown defence, as it were. They're just happy to bend and not break. Or do you think, have they made any moves this off-season that might help them be you know, be a bit more proactive in taking the ball off the opposition? Yeah, Dan Quinn preaches a lot of things on defense. And, you know, one thing that he is very consistent about is always being aggressive. I know that Quinn and all the coaches and every player on that roster would prefer to have three and outs for the defense every single time that they're on the field. Um, And that's just not realistic in the National Football League. Um, I do think that the one area where you'll see them get more aggressive is trying to create takeaways. Uh, that's something that Dan Quinn really prizes over just about anything else um, is taking the ball away, creating opportunities to get the ball back in Matt Ryan's hands and make something happen that way. So I think that you'll see them being much more aggressive that way. This is a very young defense. And so we've got guys like Deion Jones, Keanu Neal going into their third seasons. And so 
I think we'll see some more steady play from those guys. Um, I think that they were a very good defense last year, and they were a heck of a lot of fun to watch. And I think that that will continue this year too. The Falcons were, you know, a last-minute play away from knocking off the Eagles in the postseason last season. Given how strong this uh, division was last year, the improvements that various teams have made. What would be a successful season for the Falcons, obviously assuming they don't win the Super Bowl? You know, it's it's interesting. This is going to be an interesting season because we're heading into the season and a division where three of the four teams made the postseason last year. Um, and so it's not going to be an easy road in the NFC South. And then when you branch out and look at the whole NFC, you're talking about the reigning Super Bowl champion Eagles. You're talking about the Rams who made some wild moves this offseason to get better. Um, and so you've got a lot of contenders. Uh, you've got the Packers with a healthy Aaron Rodgers back. You know, so there are a lot of there's a, there's a lot going on um, in the NFC this year. I would say if the Falcons go ten and six or eleven and five, because they have a very tough schedule, ten and six or eleven and five, and make the playoffs, whether that's by winning the division, which isn't going to be easy, or by locking up a wild card spot, which also is not going to be easy. I will be happy. And then, you know, we'll see what happens from there. But it's going to be such a tough road in the NFC this year that I think that you have to temper your expectations a bit. It is absolutely ludicrous when you consider how strong the NFC is, where if you threw half of these teams into the AFC, it would make it a modicum more interesting than, are you the Patriots? Then you're going to the Super Bowl. (laughs) Pretty much, yes. (laughs) Well, Gina... Thanks very much for for chatting to us. I say that's uh, Gina Thomas. You can follow her at Gina Thomas or over at The Falcoholic. Gina, thanks very much for your time. Thank you so much. Have a great day. That was my chat with Gina Thomas from The Falcoholic. After the break, we'll take a few minutes to consider some of the things Gina and I talked about. As you know, the NFL season is quickly approaching. Get ready for it with the subscriptions where Rotovis NFL Pass, which you can get right now for 30% off. This discount is for listeners of the podcast only, and it's available through the NFL podcast homepage, rotaviz.com forward slash podcast. Your subscription gives you unlimited access to all of our NFL content and tools, and best of all, it supports the pod. Again, be sure to get your 30% discount for an NFL pass at rotaviz.com forward slash podcast. Welcome back to the Atlanta Falcons episode of the 2018 Team Preview Series, a special edition of Rotoviz Radio. I'm your host, Neil Dutton. Before the break, we spoke to Gina Thomas uh, from the Falcoholic. Great uh, chat about the Falcons, one of the more interesting teams. They don't appear to have made too many sweeping changes from last season, um, but you know they have obviously expectations to challenge again in the postseason and get back to the Super Bowl where they were two seasons ago. They finished 10-6 and last year, which was only good for third in the NFC South. Obviously, ridiculously, ridiculously uh, competitive division with the New Orleans Saints and Carolina Panthers. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are expected to be better this year, but who knows, <laughs> who, who truly knows how good they'll be. So obviously... We talked about most of the key players for the Falcons with Gina, but I want to take a look at a few of them using some of the apps we have at Rotoviz. Now, the key player, obviously, the big money man, the man who signed a big contract this offseason, was quarterback Matt Ryan. Now, he was the MVP of the whole league two years ago, and his numbers were quite phenomenal. He came down to earth with a bit of a bump in 2017. I asked Gina, could he get back to those MVP style numbers. But if we actually look at Matt Ryan's career 
we'll see that that MVP, MVP season was something of a blip. And if we go to the Game Splits app that we have at Rotoviz, now this is an app that allows us to look at a player's career by season, by week, by competition, by a whole host of criteria can we break down and split a player's career. So what I did was I had a look at Matt Ryan's career between 2000, uh, 2008 when he was drafted and 2017 up to last season. And I split it off, so I wanted to have a look at the 2016 season. Now, in that season, he averaged 33.4 pass attempts per game, 23.3 completions, 309 passing yards, 2.38 passing touchdowns, and 0.4 passing interceptions. And that was good for 200, sorry, that was good for 27.18 fantasy points per game, um, 435 points overall. It was an absolutely incredible season. He was phenomenal. But if you actually look at the, his career as a whole, so that was the split for that one season, but if you look at his career as a whole, he's averaged 35.4 pass attempts, so two more per game, he completed 23, so he's around the similar sort, uh, similar sort of range. But his career average is 264 passing yards against 309, 1.6 touchdowns, and 0.8 interceptions, and that's good for 20.73 fancy points per game. I'm not saying that's terrible. Obviously, it's very good if you can get 20 points from your quarterback in fancy football. You're doing very, very well. It just looks very, very unlikely that. Even with the weapons around him, he's still got some good players, obviously. He's going to get back up to that 27, 30-point range that he was in his MVP uh, season. Another very, very polarising figure, it would seem, um, certainly this year, if you look, look on uh, t- fantasy Twitter, is Julio Jones. Now, Julio Jones has been ridiculously productive um, over the last few years. He missed the 2013 season, most of it through injury, but he's been back ever since. He has had four consecutive seasons with at least 1,400 yards. I did mention this on my chat with Gina. And if you actually look over the last three seasons... Uh, using the Rotovis Screener app. Look at his numbers. He stands up against some of the best in the game, if not if not right at the top. He's had 480 targets, which is the third most among wide receivers. 307 receptions, fourth most. He's had the most receiving yards, 4,724. And the second most PPR points, uh, 882.9. But one area that he does lag a long way behind his competitors is receiving touchdowns. He's only scored 17 in the last three seasons, which is tied for 18th among wide receivers. So obviously, he's still being productive. He's just not finding the end zone. But as I mentioned to Gina, last year, his numbers seemed to fall. Uh, Most of the key numbers, his receptions per game, his yards per game, his completion, his catch rate, and of course, his touchdowns fell a big way. And a big criticism that people have had about Julio Jones and the Falcons, whoever's been calling the offense, is that he he doesn't get used in the red zone. Well, again, if we use the rope of his screener app, we see that this isn't actually the case and certainly hasn't been over the last three seasons he's had 51 red zone targets so targets inside the opposition 20 yard line which is eighth most among wide receivers he's had 23 receptions which is only good for 17th and only eight touchdowns which is tied for 36th now as i say the argument or the popular narrative is that the he doesn't get used in the red zone. Well, as we can see there, he clearly does he's you know top 10 in terms of targets inside the red zone 
But of the eight wide receivers who've seen at least 50 red zone targets in the last three seasons, Julio's touchdown rate of 15.7 is eighth out of eight. So clearly he gets used. He's just not very good in the red zone. But as of, as the numbers show, he can still be productive. He's still a top wide receiver because of what he'll give you away from the scoring area. You know, he's going to catch a lot of balls. He's going to get an awful lot of yards. So obviously, you know, he's still someone you're going to want. It's just a question of, you know, his touchdowns should come back closer to what they've been in his career. Three last year was way below what you'd expect from a player getting his type of yardage. But, you know, some people are going to have that doubt because touchdowns are very, very important in fancy football, obviously. Another player I spoke to Gina about, and this is more in my wheelhouse, of course, with tight ends, is Austin Hooper. Now, he was drafted in the third round. He was 81st overall in 2000, excuse me, and 16. And it's safe to say he hasn't exactly set the world on fire. Um, I mean, in those in those two years, in terms of PPR points, he's the tight end 21 in the last two seasons. That might not sound terrible, but when you consider, you know, that he's pretty much had no competition for the last year and a half, and he started last season with a 100-yard game, and then I don't think he... I think he hit 50 once more for the rest of the season. He's been a bit of a disappointment. And it's especially concerning, especially when you consider how efficient he actually is when Matt Ryan decides to target him. Over the last two years, if you look at our adjusted yards per attempt app, which is where we can look at either a quarterback or a receiver and see how efficient they've been on a per-target basis... Austin Hooper averages 8.5 adjusted yards per attempt for Matt Ryan over the last two years. That's the fifth most of any player Ryan has targeted at least 50 times. So obviously we've seen he can be efficient when he's targeted. But as Gina pointed out, he has had some very, very disturbing drops. So I wanted to have a look at a comparison because I say it's a difficult position to learn for a rookie tight end. Because, you know, often... They won't break out straight away. It does take a few years. And we're going into Hooper's third year. So I wanted to have a look at some other players for a similar idea of what they've done in their first two years in the NFL uh, to see if we can get some you know, possible possible um, outcomes for Hooper moving forward. So what I did, I set the screener to look at players taken since, two, since the year 2000, tight ends in their first two years, and then I set it for similar players for Austin Hooper. Now, in those two years, Austin Hooper has 183.7 PPR points. So that was the one I wanted similarity for. And the closest ones I got were Travis Kelsey, who in his first two seasons had 183.2 PPR points. The kicker there, of course, however, is that Travis Kelsey got all those points in one season. He missed his rookie year with a microfracture surgery. Another person who came in with 172 PPR points in his first two years, Jermichael Finley. He was a very good player, but obviously he didn't have a long career. So, you know, take from that what you will. Then there's good old Eric Ebron in his first two seasons, 186.5 PPR points. And Ebron is thought of as someone who's quite disappointing. He was a first-round pick, obviously. Uh, but that's, you know, you see similar numbers to Hooper. And then you have to go an even further back to former Eagles tight end LJ Smith in his first two seasons, 2003 and 2004. LJ had 166.8 
PPR points in his first two seasons. Now, Smith actually had a very good career up till about 2008 uh, when injuries took over and he started losing time to Brent Selleck on the Eagles. But it's not really an encouraging sign uh, for recent uh, players similar to Hooper in terms of hoping that they'll break out. Kelsey, obviously, is someone we're going to cling to. It would be lovely if Hooper could be the next Kelsey. But um, I think given the fact that Travis Kelsey is pretty much the main weapon in his offence, whereas with the best will in the world, Austin Hooper is not. So, as I say, we've talked there about Matt Ryan, about Julio Jones, and I think the most interesting thing to come out of that is... You know, I think we have debunked the myth that Julio doesn't get work in the red zone. When he does, he's just not particularly good when he gets it. Will that change in 2017? I don't know. I mean, it's. I, I don't think it's going to change Julio's ADP. I think, you know, it's certainly in PPR leagues, he's going to get uh, drafted very high because you know what you get from him. You've got a very good floor. And potentially, if he can start scoring more touchdowns, you've got a... Uh, someone who could genuinely finish as the top wide receiver, probably behind uh, Antonio Brown and maybe DeAndre Hopkins in 2018. Well, that's going to do it for the Atlanta Falcons episode of the 2018 Rotoviz Radio Team Preview Series. I'm Neil Dutton. Follow me on Twitter at ndutton13. Big thank you to our guest, Gina Thomas. Once again, thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to the 2018 Team Preview Series. Our assistant executive producer is Colm Kelly, and our executive producer is Matthew Friedman. Please rate and review the Rotoviz Radio podcast on iTunes or your favourite podcast app. Contact us via email, rotavizradio at gmail.com, and follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 30% discount through the Rotoviz Radio homepage, rotaviz.com forward slash podcast. Hi, welcome to the Subway ad for $2.99 subs. How would you like it? Uh, I'll take Drill Sergeant, please. You got it. All right, now, listen up. I want each and every one of you to drop and give me a six-inch meatball marinara. Cold cut combo. Veggie delight. Or black forest ham on your choice of bread with any veggies you want for just $2.99 each. Subway! Make it what you want at participating restaurants. Additional charge for extras plus applicable tax. No additional discounts or coupons may be applied. This September at local area Subway restaurants, your meal purchase will help our neighbors in need. Purchase a sub drink and chips and help us donate 200,000 meals to local Feeding America food banks. Subway meal includes any sub, salad, or wrap with any drink and chips or two cookies. For every two meals purchased through September 30th, participating Subway restaurants will donate one meal up to 200,000 meals to San Francisco and East North South Bay Area food banks. One meal is the monetary equivalent of 10 cents. Meals secured by Feeding America on behalf of local member food banks. So pick up a great meal and make a difference in the community.